0: Captain? Report. <laughs> Signature's detected. Shields
1: up.
0: <laughs> Signature's detected. Context, South Beach Command. C- context, South Beach Command.
1: Delay that order. Context, South Beach Command. This is the captain. Context, South Beach Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons.
2: Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison.
0: I'm Adam Pranica. Ben? I was surprised at what I learned today. Mm. Before today, if I were asked, what was the Star Trek series that came before Star Trek The Next Generation? Uh-huh. I would have said, the original series. That would have been wrong. Dead wrong. Yeah. When did the animated series come out? So the story with this is kind of bonkers. Star Trek: The Original Series, famously canceled, deeply unpopular. Ugh. NBC hated it.
2: Canceled because it was uh, morally repugnant, <laughs> and it was a victim of cancel culture.
0: The original series had some old tweets that that were mm. dug up and uh, were <laughs> yeah. deeply problematic, and uh, and so it gets canceled. Right, canceled in '69. Nice. <laughs> So Roddenberry is laying back in the cut, and and he's seeing the success of Star Trek, the original series, in syndication. He's like, people love this fucking show. It's crazy. We were canceled too soon. And so what he does is he starts negotiating for the comeback. The comeback being an animated series which features the cast, the cast of the live series, That comes back uh, for two seasons, 73 and 74. And so what happens is the production studio pleads budgetary constraints. They're like, look, Star Trek is very expensive. It's going to be expensive to rotoscope everything into animation. (laughs) Like... uh, it's going to be a struggle, so it doesn't look like we can bring all of you back. How about if we bring everyone back to do voice work except for the black person and the Asian person? And wow, to their credit, there was massive pushback. Like, Nimoy pushed back extremely hard, but but like Shatner, too. They were like, I know you're not telling us that that Star Trek is a place for, like, Uh, aspirational diversity and not going to bring back our, our black and Asian characters through the animated series. I know you're not trying to say that, right holy shit and so they finally reneged and so and so the whole cast minus Chekhov <laughs> was brought back for the animated series and that is the show that we are going to be discussing for the next few episodes on the greatest discovery in preparation for lower decks the next installment of animated star trek isn't that a wild story
2: it's not often that I say I'm proud of something William Shatner did, but I'm proud of him for that.
0: I mean, the sample size that we've watched of the animated series is still very small. Uh, mm-hmm. I am very glad that uh, that Nichelle Nichols and George Takei are in the show. However, uh, based on the two episodes I've seen so far, one line of dialogue each, still... yeah. Uh, if you were on a show that was canceled in the late sixties, that is a, uh, not safe place to feel if you are an actor and you have the floor dropped out from you. And it's one of the reasons why, um, Walter Koenig actually scored a little bit of cash by writing a script for one of the animated series episodes. All right. Good for him. They didn't pay a lot, but the animated series did manage to, gather together a lot of the creative and writing staff from the original series. And I think that's why um, like continuity wise, like it feels a lot like original series star Trek. It's not, it does not feel specifically aimed towards kids. This does not feel like in a lot of ways, like it's, it feels like a Hanna Barbera cartoon and like, it looks like it's for kids. It looks like it looks and feels like it would belong on a Saturday morning cartoon lineup but it does not feel like kiddie in a in a dumb way
2: it doesn't feel like they dropped the intellectual standards through the floor to appeal to children in a way that i was worried it might um that's uh, that's all really fascinating to hear i mean Like, I can't remember how I got my hands on this, but when I was a kid, I had a VHS tape with like three episodes of Star Trek, the animated series on it. Wow. And I watched it a million times and I was wondering when I fired these episodes up yesterday to watch them, are we going to get original cast or is it going to be like a real Ghostbusters, original Ghostbusters situation where it's like legally dissimilar enough to uh, To to sneak under the lawsuit wire
0: I don't know about you Ben, but if this were like real Ghostbusters, it would have been a win because I fucking loved real Ghostbusters
2: I did too. I, I think real Ghostbusters in my opinion are the real Ghostbusters Wow, and those movie chumps are just some also ran Copycats Holy
0: shit. I mean, I was obsessed with that show for a long time. It's good stuff. Got the comic books and everything.
2: The other thing I liked a lot about watching this was seeing how much fun it is to not have the constraints of building sets and models. Right. And the first episode we're going to talk about is a great example of that. So uh, so what we did was we watched season one, episode one, and season one, episode five of Star Trek, the animated series. And uh, I think we're going to do like like a couple of quick hit Greatest Discovery episodes right here in this one episode.
0: We're going to make film history right here on videotape.
2: <laughs> the other point I wanted to make is that Greatest Discovery is our Star Trek sandbox show. And... Um, we do hear from people that found Greatest Gen through Greatest Discovery or our Greatest Discovery listeners, but haven't tried Greatest Gen yet. We call them the Gold Star
0: Friends of Desoto.
2: Yeah. Uh, but it's you know it's a it's the show that we do with the smallest audience, but it's still uh, it's it's grown a lot this year, and I think in no small part to our coverage of you know, season two of Discovery and Star Trek Picard. And I'm really excited about the upcoming new Trek we have to review. This is a Max Fundrive episode. So the uh, the pitch is this. We can't make this show without your help. And your, uh, you know, your listener download numbers are, uh, are a big deal for us. But uh, an even bigger deal is listener support. And so we're asking you, to go to maximumfun.org join and sign up for a monthly membership and uh, you'll get bonus content. And uh, if you go up the membership levels, you'll get prizes, but it all is crucial to our ability to make The Greatest Discovery.
0: When we started The Greatest Discovery, I don't think either of us knew what it would become. We knew there was gonna be a new Star Trek show called Star Trek Discovery we were excited to talk about it we wanted a space to do that and so we carved out a show to do it on and i think if you support the show at maximumfund.org/join i think what you're doing is you are investing in us you're saying that you want to hear more greatest star trek talk from Ben and I for shows that have been announced and for shows that haven't been announced in the future. Like if you like what we do and you want to see us keep doing it, uh, support is how you make that possible.
2: So head to maximumfund.org slash join right now. Do it while we're talking about it. Uh, you can find a link to that site in the show notes in your podcast app, uh, set up your membership Hey, if you listen to The Greatest Gen and Friendly Fire also, you can support those as well in uh, in the same fell swoop. It's easy to do, and uh, you're going to feel great knowing that you are a part of how this show gets made going forward. And we super, super appreciate it.
0: Check all three is what I'd say. Friendly Fire, Greatest Generation, Greatest Discovery.
2: That's the way to do it. We really appreciate it. So MaximumFun.org slash join. Adam, what do you say we get into Star Trek, the animated series, season one, episode one, Beyond the Farthest Star.
1: We have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention. What? Who are you? Have encountered them? Those are Klingons?
0: I was shocked right up top that, like, there is an attempt to, like, do the theme... And uh-huh. the narration and the credits, like totally. They really hew to the original stuff that that makes Star Trek fun. And the rotoscoping, like, like you know right away, like they got the ship right. Yeah, it looks good as a cartoon. That
2: opening sequence has some some real draftsmanship in the animation of the ship. like when the ship, turns in front of the camera yeah that could have been rotoscoped but it it looked to me like an animator sat there and worked out the angles on the ship and you know made it look three dimensional and that's pretty impressive i mean i think that's something that you can you can afford to do in an animated show like this for the title sequence but maybe not for just an action set piece in the middle of an episode
0: they've released this on blu-ray i watched it on cbs all access uh, so I'm not sure if this is true in all places, but i really enjoyed like how dusty the cells were like, yeah. the image isn't super clean. And when they do like uh, ships moving in space, you can see the dusty cell of the ship moving in the still starfield in the background. Like it's not, it's not super clean in a way that that feels fun. It feels very like lived in and classic.
2: I visited um the tiny telephone recording studio
0: one time. John Vanderslice's studio, yeah?
2: Yeah, and Vanderslice is obsessed with recording on analog formats like he he like only records on tape and he only gets like these old like, you know, mixing boards from the 70s and stuff and he really believes that there's Something lost when you can digitally go in and fix everything. Mm-hmm. Like accidents are actually good for like artistic expression. Accidents are actually good for artistic expression. I felt a lot of that watching this. Like I, I was I was really glad that the H D rescan of this show did not they didn't then spend the money to go in and and clean everything up. Yeah, I liked it. One thing, however, that I did not like was that in the sound mix, I was watching this uh, while my wife was home, and I put in headphones to try and not bother her with my dumb Star Trek stuff, and all of the dialogue was panned hard right.
0: I noticed that too. That is really unfortunate. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Very annoying. I don't know if this is uh, due to the CBS All Access the way CBS All Access streams it, but uh, like I took out one headphone and on the left channel I was getting all of the like background noise,
0: and in the right channel I was getting all of the background noise plus the dialogue. So to me, it's just classic CBS All Access to like tease you with a thing that that you want, and then make it uh-huh. somehow a little bit fucked up and frustrating. <laughs> like yeah, there it's on brand. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Every reading on it is negative.
0: Beyond
2: the Farthest Star uh, title of this episode is apt because they are approaching in The Entrepreneur a a dead star at the far reaches of the galaxy. And uh, and they're getting crazy readings. It's got, like, hypergravity, but it's also giving radio emissions. A hell of
0: a combination. The thing that that i think a lot of new viewers to the animated series will appreciate is the verisimilitude of the sounds like yeah it sounds exactly like original series all of these scanning sounds the view screen sounds the alert klaxon like it's all the same you're very yeah. you're very easily transported into this tos world
2: With all of the original cast being there doing the voices, it it feels perfect. And also, like, the kind of story they're telling. Yeah. It for sure is not a kid's story. Like, it's like a little... Like, you have to be, like, interested in space science and shit to...
0: You have to be a real fucking nerd to be a a kid into this, and I was, so...
2: (laughs) (laughs) Did you have a childhood
0: relationship with this show, Adam? Not at all. This is the very first time I've seen... A frame of this and that felt great to like this has been here the whole time waiting for us to to experience it
2: yeah it looks awesome they managed to get their way around this dead star which is like you know a bit of a a bit of a challenge because it's gravity is pulling them in and what they find on the other side is described as a ship but it is unlike anything that we would ever see in a live action television show
0: yeah, it just looks too expensive.
2: It's these sinuous tendrils that are connected to these like biopods. And this this thing has been in orbit for a long ass time.
0: This is like a quality of something scary on Star Trek. I feel like every time you run into something that is thousands of years old, it means scary, right? Yeah. It's a language that Star Trek
2: speaks. And I think in sci-fi in general, right? Like yeah. the the remains of an ancient civilization.
0: Something was here and now it's dead. And what is it? And is it going to kill us?
2: 300 million years, they they estimate this thing has been in orbit of the star, but it's like weirdly like super dead. Like it's, you know, no temperature, no, no heat signature, no energy signature. There's a, like a slight magnetic reading, but- but very little to indicate uh, that there's anything going on over there. So they decide to beam over. And I love this. They they have these, um, these belts, life support belts that they can wear to go beam onto the surface of this thing. And they're like in space with little force fields around them.
0: Ben, I read that uh, this is an example of how little budget they had for this show, which was like, again, they burned all of their budget on casting Mm -hmm. and they had so little left for the actual making of the show that like, I'm sure you noticed this. There's a lot of hand over mouth stuff happening for dialogue. There's a lot of back turn to camera for dialogue and there's a lot of silhouettes instead of fully uh, drawn in action. And I think the life support belt is another example of this. Like, they didn't have the budget to draw brand new spacesuits. Like they're just going to draw a halo effect yeah. around our characters and that's going to be what it is.
2: We can't even like spend the time to have somebody like sit there with a sketchbook and come up with what a spacesuit will look like.
0: I feel like if you didn't know the budget story, you wouldn't miss it though. I I didn't. I thought it was fine.
2: No. And, and it's like used a good effect. Like the yeah. the life support belts play a story function later. Right. And I think that's cool. Like the like it's very limited animation, but also like a space story is well suited to limited animation. Like if you just have a ship going across a, a field of stars, like that's two drawings and then somebody sitting there, you know, in the animation room like slowly moving one of the two cells against the other. Right. So this ship is uh, is really interesting. It's it's very like biological. It seems like it was it's made out of metal, but it was like spun from alloys that they don't totally understand. All of it is like uh, kind of honeycomb patterns and these tendrils, and they they realize that the tendrils are like energy receptors. The whole ship is made out of these things, and they can derive energy from motion, sound, and light, and anything else that, that might surround them. And the ship is, uh, it seems to be sort of responding to their presence. Like, it's, it's gathering energy just from the fact that they're there walking around talking about it.
0: A lot of it looks biological, but I mean, this is Star Trek. So, there is also uh, a door that they go through and a sort of ersatz control room that they find themselves in. And once they're inside this room, they realize that none of their shit works.
2: Yeah. It's got some kind of damping field going on. And when the doors close, something is trying to get in and they find like the, the last captain's log of the insect commander of this ancient starship. And it takes a long time to like clean up the transmission because it's so, it's so old and degraded.
0: It's the Sam Neill event horizon captain's log. (laughs) Totally. It is not appropriate for children. She's gone much, much farther than that.
2: Yeah. It winds up being Kirk and he's been very badly mutilated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But this is another great quality of science fiction. The best science fiction is the last message of an alien race going like, my God, what have we done? We've got to do a thing to save the galaxy from the mistake we made. And the captain's log is basically, we've been invaded by a thing. We can't let this thing get loose. We're going to plant our ship here in the hopes that it never hurts anyone else. They're going to take the zero. It's. Very akin
2: to crispy critters they find in, is that booby trap when they find the ancient ship? Yeah. But it's also, it also really feels a lot like the dead pilot that they find on their ship in Alien, which
0: yep. this was made th- six years before that. That's crazy. Like I, it's definitely space jockey vibes you get from this moment. Totally. And uh, and I thought that
2: was very fun and cool to see.
0: Yeah. So
2: this kind of becomes emergent as they're standing there and they're, you know, realizing that whatever's on the other side of that door is going to get in as they learn the true identity of the previous owners of the ship and get the warning from the captain. And uh, Mr. Kyle is able to beam them aboard kind of mid... Explosion of the alien ship And when they materialize On the transporter pad There is also a big green Fart on one of the uh, One of the positions on the transporter Pad there with them
0: You can't beam the fart aboard Mr. Kyle.
2: (laughs) In perhaps the kirkiest move that Kirk has ever pulled, he just goes and like elbows Kyle out of the way (laughs) and is like, get that thing off the ship, beam it out into space. Fuck you. I'll do it.
0: (laughs) I feel like this has occasionally happened in TNG where like a mysterious entity has entered the ship. And Mm -hmm. the search is on to find it, but rarely have we been given a scene where like the mysterious entity is on the ship and then everyone goes back to their stations and they're like, well, I mean, do we go back to work? Like it's a regular (laughs) day.
2: Yeah, let's just uh, see what systems start to be compromised, I guess.
0: It feels like that kind of day at the office for everyone. They're nervous about it, right? Like Kirk is
2: like, hey, yeah, so magnetically, like anything (laughs) amiss with the ship? And Spock's like, it's a little weird, but it's not that weird.
0: Things get really weird pretty fast. Like systems start going haywire. Uh, A crewman gets dumped into a locker in engineering, basically with the door (laughs) shut on him the phasers come on on their own and and shoot the alien ship
2: right they vaporize the alien ship in a way that i was not anticipating
0: them being able to do yeah did they have that power the whole time because like as soon as they confront that thing, it seems like it's so mu- it's so much bigger and more powerful than them.
2: Yeah, big surprise. Um, they get down to engineering, and Scotty is like wedged in like a big like barbecue, like a Weber barbecue has been shut on Scotty. Fortunately, he's wearing his uh, his life support belt, so the the force field is keeping him safe. But it's a bit of a ticking clock, and they have to cut the lid off this thing to save Scotty.
0: I referred to him as a crewman, not thinking it was Scotty. It was obviously Scotty from The Voice, but like this is one of those instances where the crewmen in engineering especially have a kind of look, and they all kind of look alike.
2: Yeah, the drawings are not super distinctive.
0: Yeah, and and because Scotty shows up on the bridge later, totally fine, and... There is no reference made to him being closed in the garbage can. I I questioned whether or not it was him, but it was clearly him. You're right.
2: Yeah. When you see two of these characters next to each other, I feel like it's easier to to see. Yeah. Like there's a there was a shot where like Bones and Scotty were standing right next to each other, and I was like, wow, like one of them looks like DeForest Kelly and one of them looks like J- James Doohan, but by themselves, they look like almost nothing. <laughs>
0: it's sort of like origin story to Scotty because like when they get him out from under that garbage can lid, he like leaves a hand on the rim of it before the door closes. It slams shut and his finger like flies right off onto the floor. And like that's Scotty, that's Scotty with the missing finger that we've come to know. It's
2: terrible. So yeah, what they come up with is that this is a a magnetic entity, a an entity with no corporeal form, but it's capable of taking over a metal device like a starship.
0: And it starts talking to them. And it's because starships are made of metal and they're strong.
1: <laughs> and they eat old people's medicine for fuel.
2: It starts turning off non-essential systems and insisting that everybody obey it. And it starts shooting them with green lasers. Um, Kirk and Spock both get it.
0: What I love about this alien is that it keeps commanding them to obey in a way that an alien probably would. That's the most efficient request to make if you're a more powerful alien commanding a lowly human.
2: Yeah. I like that the alien sound a little dorky, though. Yeah. Like it doesn't sound like a big, strong guy. You will
0: obey me. It's like the voice from Get Smart. I kind of like that one.
2: So, yeah, they've got this problem. This thing is going to take over the ship, and then it's going to pilot its way back to civilized space, and it could potentially take over anything when it gets to a populated planet. And they pretty quickly determined that that is an unacceptable risk to pose to uh, the rest of civilized space. And... Uh, this is a little unclear to me, but Kirk like does like a shoulder roll and gets his belt on the control panel so that there's a force field around it and then they can control the ship. I'm not really sure what was going on there. <laughs> but long story short, they play a game of like magnetic entity chicken where they yeah. start like warping the ship at that dead star and convincing this entity that it's either like relinquish control or get us bloated
0: I love that that like a primary quality of Jim Kirk as captain is like the willingness to play chicken against anyone he's fighting like he's, (laughs) he's willing to die and kill everyone on the ship in order to win and you gotta be willing to do that if you wanna beat him
2: he's willing to turn hopelessness into a fighting chance yeah. They get the entity to sort of jump ship onto the onto the dead star and the end of this episode is so sad. They're yeah. flying away from it in space and it is just broadcasting to them how lonely it is. It's been stuck on that other ship for 300 million years.
0: The <laughs> The fucked up part of this episode is that this thing is wailing about how lonely it is as they cruise away. No one pays it any mind, no one comments on it. This thing is is like truly suffering and there is no like in TNG I feel like there would be a captain's log where Picard like I regret the actions of leaving <laughs> our million year old alien behind but it was far too dangerous to to confront if only there was a way to <laughs> well, yeah there is never an if only to this episode
2: <laughs> <laughs> and they're like and they're like flat animated unanimated faces because like they didn't have the budget to draw like four yeah. more frames
0: the regrets aren't expressed in dialogue or in face <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. It makes it seem intentionally cruel. It's brutal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, did you like this episode, Adam? The Adventures of the Dreadship Enterprise? Yeah. <laughs> I really did. This is this felt like a mirror universe episode to me. It sure did. So far so good is what I'll say. It felt like Star Trek in all the right ways and I mean up until the end, it it felt almost exactly like Star Trek and then it felt nihilistic and evil i can't even imagine being like
2: eight and sitting cross-legged on the floor of the den watching this after like an episode of gi joe and seeing something as fucking dipped in ennui as this episode
0: the eight-year-old watching this episode goes back to torturing the family pet after (laughs) (laughs) without a care in the world
2: wow what a crazy episode yeah, but did you find Adam
0: an Edward Larkin? Uh, I want to know everything about Mr. Kyle. I he became an immediate favorite character. He reminded me of. Uh, there's a movie we watched on the hit podcast Friendly Fire called The Adventures of Gerard. Yeah. And Mr. Kyle reminded me of the Gerard character in that movie in such a profound way.
2: Totally. It's the mustache.
0: Yeah, and uh like I did not like him being tossed aside by Captain Kirk. Yeah. I think I think you make you make transporter chief by working for it. I think he's a qualified operator. Yeah. Don't do that to Mr. Kyle. But yeah, he's my drunk Shimoto.
2: I wonder if we could persuade John Adams to do one Mr. Kyle at work.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what else is he doing?
2: (laughs) He's not busy doing cartoons for the New Yorker. Uh, Adam, it will surprise no one to find out that Mr. Kyle was also my Edward Larkin.
0: Yeah, could only be.
2: Do you want to move on to the next episode that we watched for today?
0: Yeah, the next episode is a is one of the many sequels to original series episodes. It's a sequel to The Trouble with Tribbles episode. It's one of several that the animated series did to TOS eps. It's called More Tribbles More Troubles.
3: I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more troubles we come upon, the more troubles we see.
0: (laughs) Whatever happened to Mace?
2: Mace left hip-hop for a little while to to form a more powerful bond with Jesus Christ and then Mm. came back and he had one hit called... Like, Welcome Back Mace or something like that? Or Mace's is, Mace is Back or something like that?
0: Was there a worse misstep in in hip-hop career history than the one that Mace did?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there have been some pretty legendary missteps in the history of hip-hop, so... <laughs> I know. I wouldn't want to go out on a limb and say that he made the worst one.
0: I'll say this. I think he's on my mount misstep. <laughs> Anyway, because this is, a, this is a sequel episode, we get a lot of references to, to things and places we've seen and been before. Uh, yeah. Most notably, Sherman's Planet. The Sherman's Planet needs grain, Adam. Yeah. The, the problem of Sherman's Planet has not gone away. A uh, lot of hunger on Sherman's Planet. Yeah. Here's an idea. Maybe take some people off of Sherman's Planet, put them <laughs> on a different planet so they don't need so much grain.
2: I guess the TOS era predates replicators but like it seems like there's got to be a better way like don't <laughs> populate a planet as heavily as Sherman's planet has been populated if it is as challenging to develop a supply line to it. Right. Um one thing that they've done is upgraded the grain that they're going to supply. It's no longer quadro that they're getting to Sherman's Planet, they now have a couple of robot ships loaded up with Quinto Triticale.
0: It's one better, Adam. There are a couple of ideas in the animated series that like, did get traction for future episodes and series, but one of them that never did was like the idea of a robot ship. Yeah. Where are the robot ships?
2: They are in this episode and perhaps
0: this episode alone. Yeah, they should be numerous because they're made of metal and robots
3: are strong.
2: They're inbound for Sherman's planet, escorting these ships when they uh, come across a D7 Klingon ship attacking a one man vessel. And if there's Sherman's planet, if there's grain for the hungry, there's going to be Klingons.
0: There's going to be a Cyrano Jones.
2: (laughs) Like, this is just how the math works on stories like this. And uh, Cyrano Jones's ship is under attack when they get it on the view screen. It's getting hit by Klingon disruptors. They've also heard that the Klingons have some kind of new weapon, but that does not seem to be what the Klingons are using on Cyrano Jones's ship. But uh, we don't know it's Cyrano Jones yet, and... This ship gets destroyed, and this is like the longest interval between exploded ship and person materializing on the transporter pad, probably in Star Trek history, because a solid five or six minutes go by before Scotty is able to resolve the transporter pattern.
0: And yet like the the urgency applied to this is just nowhere to be found. Like in TNG <laughs> there would be like a ticking clock of yeah. a pattern being in the buffer and it's disintegrating and it's a race against time.
2: Columbini would be screaming and like and like on his back under the equipment, rewiring something.
0: Yeah, but as it is, uh Scotty's pretty chill. In an emergency, I think that's the sort of temperament you want.
2: Yeah. He's got a very like even keel and uh, he's going
1: to figure it out.
0: It'll be fine. He had not yet adopted the whole like miracle worker mentality. Mm -hmm. Like because if he had at this point, he would be freaking out and saying that it is a race against time. And then he'd somehow save the day before he'd predicted.
2: They do get hit by this Klingon weapon. And it is a it's some kind of stasis ray where it's causing all of their systems to sort of stop working. And uh, and just kind of hold their ship in one spot, uh, which is you know makes it very hard for them to like fire back or resolve the transporter pattern. And uh, and this is like, like the implications for conflicts with the Klingons going forward are pretty are pretty dire.
0: It's very different from the reputation we get from them. Basically, at any other point, like Klingons as the foremost purveyors of technology not really a thing like you don't fear the Klingons for that you fear them for their savagery their willingness to die in battle not secret weapons
2: yeah I mean every so often they do come up with like for example a ship that can fire while cloaked the (laughs) d7 the commander of this Klingon ship is a familiar face it's Koloth.
0: Sure is. Not scary, I would say. No,
2: kind of friendly and approachable in his purple Klingon costume.
0: The kind of Klingon boss you want.
2: This episode, more than the last episode, felt really kid-friendly to me. And I wonder yeah. if that's a first episode thing where the network was then like, hey, like, maybe knock it off with the like hard sci-fi, nothing happens shit
0: tortured alien marooned on a planet for a million years
2: yeah like maybe just make it kind of like a mustache twirling bad guy that
0: the that the gang can fight and beat hey kid you might never make a friend (laughs) you might (laughs) you might feel like you're on this planet for a million years good luck (laughs) what if you're alone forever (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and and like if there's one thing that is appropriate for kids, it's the idea of tribbles, right? If we're going to make a, an episode for kids, let's bring back the tribbles. Let's make them pink. Let's also introduce the idea of a tribble eater. And that yeah. is what Cyrano Jones has got. He's like, "Look, guys, I know you're still pissed off at me about the whole tribbles thing, uh, but but I've been working on a new product. The Pelzer Tribble Eater." <laughs> Uh, it's very, it's very compact. It's something he can keep in one of his many pockets. Yeah. Uh, he's wearing the same jacket from that TOS episode. Ben, I, I, don't get the sense that he smells very good. No, he's, he can't. He talks his way out of, uh, out of Kirk's anger. Kirk is still carrying a grudge from the trouble with tribbles. Cyrano Jones is like, it's not going to be a problem. These tribbles don't reproduce and they get eaten up by this other guy called a glama.
2: Glamma is kind of a symmetrical orange beastie with four legs and little spiky spikes around the top of its head, and then and then eyes on stalks.
0: This looks like a thing that the Klingons would love to eat.
2: It does, and it also is another like great use of animation, and feels like a really fun little guy that we wouldn't have gotten in, you know. TOS certainly, but even in like Voyager, like it has been too hard to to make this look right. But uh, this this medium like lends itself to a little bit more inventive of creature design.
0: Yeah, uh, cheap to create, cheap to throw away. Because I feel like you know this glama could have been slimer, like this yeah. this thing could have had its own arc here, but not the case. It's just uh, it's just a thing that eats tribbles.
3: At least it's
1: neat.
2: You know, they've got the, the problem of uh, one of the robot ships was damaged in the attack and they've got to, like, load the entrepreneur up with the grain from that ship so that they can get it to Sherman's planet safely. They've still got one other ship, but, like, they, they actually had to use the two ships as part of their, like, three-way game of chicken with the Klingons to get out of that first scrape. The Klingons slunk off because the... Amount of energy needed for their new stasis weapon is incredibly high. And so they are presumably kind of recharging their batteries. But the Enterprise is now like limping to Sherman's planet with one robot ship, a bunch of neutered tribbles, and a, a series of hallways and uh, storage bays full of Quinto Triticale.
0: It's a bunch of tribbles with, with smooth groins.
2: Yeah. But one banger and these Tribbles are going to start eating, you know?
0: Yeah, that's all it takes. It's a moment pregnant with possibility.
2: What did you think about the Tribbles all being pink? Didn't like it. I didn't like it either. This this is like one of those things that like when I would get a Star Trek toy as a kid and like Lwaxana's, all of her accessories would be bright orange or, you know, Worf's tricorder would be blue and his batleth would be blue and his phaser would be blue I'd be like fuck this I don't want it to be blue I want it to look like it looks in the show
0: it made me wonder if it, if there's a quality to animation that is related to uh, like I used to work for a print publication and like you're always very conscious of like the colors used in a print publication on a on a given page mm-hmm.
2: you don't want the colors to get schismed <laughs>
0: I mean, I wonder if it's more expensive to introduce different colors, and it's and that's yeah. just a another budgetary item they're trying to control.
2: One thing I know that uh, a lot of animated shows do is is have a a very set color palette, like mm-hmm. on The Simpsons, like what somebody's skin tone in the daytime and what their skin tone is when it's dark out is like a set thing so that it's consistent from episode to episode. Mm -hmm. And it may be that, but it also may just be like an efficiency thing. Like the tribbles in TOS are brown and gray and black and white and mottled. And in this, it's like, there's a colorist that's got a paintbrush. And if they have to like like paint in six tribbles and then go back and paint in six other tribbles and then go back and paint in six other tribbles. And then from frame to frame, like keep track of which tribble is which color as they move around the screen. Like that becomes very complicated and very uh, unfairly challenging. I would have gone with like all gray or all brown or something, but maybe that's like considered a little less fun for the kids
0: so mccoy confirms that the sterilized tribbles you know don't have genitalia like he's he's checked there's nothing to go into anything else
2: (laughs) (laughs) nobody has an any or an outie
0: they get fat they don't fuck that's the bottom line with these pink tribbles yeah uh and the Enterprise is a real target right now because of how much it has to tow and how much grain it's full of. This is this makes them a great target for the Klingons. Who attack again? They attack the grain ship's engines, but not the cargo, which is curious to Kirk and for reasons that he discovers moments later. Because when the when the seed spills on the Enterprise. Uh, it's always a problem for Kirk, but in this specific instance, uh, the tribbles eat the grain and, uh, and they're getting huge. They're turning into like grimace sized tribbles.
2: And they, they come back to the site gag of Kirk finding a tribble in his chair, like two or three times in this episode. Uh-huh. It's like, what's the funniest thing that happened in trouble with tribbles? Kirk getting deluged with tribbles. Okay, what's the second funniest thing? Kirk finding a tribble in his seat. Right. And we're gonna we're gonna ring both of those bells in this episode.
0: <laughs> what Kolath doesn't say for some reason earlier in the episode, he manages to say here after he's immobilized the Enterprise. He's like, "We want the tribble eater. Like we don't give a shit about Cyrano Jones. Give us the thing that eats tribbles." We must have it back. And Kirk's like, why didn't you say that? <laughs> of course, you can have them. Take them.
2: This is another ingenious Klingon technology that was developed to fight tribbles that are infesting their planets.
0: Right. So, of course, they, uh, they beam the Tribble Eater over to the D7. The D7 is full of fat fucking tribbles. We've since discovered that the fat tribbles are not just fat. They're full of little tribbles also yeah
2: they're like uh they're like coral where it's like a colony of smaller creatures not one big creature
0: it's weird like the story doesn't hang together as good as the first because cyrno stole the tribal predator from Kronos, i guess and there's only one yeah for some reason <laughs>
2: right and they don't have like the ability to make another they need that one
0: Yeah, so Koloth's like, cool, thanks for the Tribble Eater. He goes and fucks off, and it's only when they're far apart that he realizes that uh, the Tribble Eater is afraid of the giant Tribbles. It won't be able to eat these fat fucks. He can't do anything with this.
2: Yeah, but uh, they shoot the great big Tribble, and it turns into the deluge of little Tribbles. So Koloth gets deluged with Tribbles, and then back on the Enterprise... Kirk also gets deluged with tribbles.
0: It seems like in pretty short order, they are going to be surrounded by dead, big, and little tribbles. Because they're going to run out of grain. They don't reproduce. It's going to be a bad scene. Kind of a slide whistle ending to this one. Unlike the first one, which was like, kind of put me in a spot for a little (laughs) bit. Like, (laughs) I didn't feel good about my day.
2: Yeah. The first one was like I needed to like reschedule with my therapist. The second one is like, ha, what a funny ending. The,
0: the first draft version of the ending of this episode was like the tribbles gaining sentience and like <laughs> asking to be killed like like they they eat themselves to such a level of discomfort they're like kill me. <laughs> kill me Kirk. Yeah. But did you like the episode, Adam? A little less than the first, I'd say. Yeah, but uh, but but it up the fun factor, of course. It
2: ups the fun factor, but it's also like more what I was expecting. And I think that the thing that's so interesting about the first episode is like how dark it is, given the fact that it's a cartoon for children.
0: Right, uh, which I'm into. Like I am. Uh, I'm not someone who has kids, but kids need to know the darkness. Yeah, quit coddling them.
2: <laughs> Advice from Adam Pranica on how to raise children.
0: Adam Pranica, childless man. <laughs> uh, but did you find yourself an Edward Larkin, Ben? I'm not the Edward Larkin.
2: There's a moment in the McLaughlin group if you want. that they have about the weapon that the Klingons are wielding where Spock kind of gives a very techno babbly description of how the weapon works. And then Scotty is like, Oh, so it's blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, and basically recapitulates the thing that Spock says, but in much more easy to understand terms and Spock just drags him. He says, that's exactly what I just said <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And so uh, Scotty is my Edward Larkin. Cause I feel like that's, that's something I totally do. Like I I say out loud a thing as I am, as it is crystallizing in my brain uh, as a thing I understand. And I think I, I probably do that so that I can seem smart and insightful. And I think it probably a lot of the time plays as, uh, okay, Ben, you're catching up with the rest of us. Good for you.
0: <laughs> that also feels like movie relationship McCoy and Spock in a way that they, like, mind for later. Yeah. You know, like, we haven't seen a ton of TOS episodes, but that seems like something they really lean into in the movies. Yeah,
2: yeah, totally. How about you? Did you find an Edward Larkin?
0: I don't know, man. I think anytime you have a Cyrano Jones in your episode, he's going to be your Edward Larkin. Like, Mm. he is Edward Larkin in this episode. Totally. So, yeah, that's mine. Keeping it simple. Keeping it obvious.
2: Every triple episode has an Edward Larkin.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, every episode of The Greatest Discovery has Priority One Messages. You want to check out what those are? I do.
1: Priority One Message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Adam,
2: our first P1 is from Brady the Breen, biker, and White Noise the Deaf, death cat. And it is to Ben R. Harrison... Atompranica Pranica, the FOD, fucking Roderick, Mechatronics, Finland, and Jesse, my brother in Breen Biking. Remember one ping only. And the message goes like this. Add ensign Road drop here. Okay, you know what you do, Robs. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, I'm back. Ben, you slaughtered the pronunciation of the weird words I could think of to make a truly epic message. I loved it. Mecca and I got married on February 29th. Mecca, I love you,
3: and you the best. Of course. I truly hope we can escape and have a honeymoon that was prevented from lockdown. You merely adopted the lockdown. Batman, I was born
2: here. (laughs) Fun stuff.
0: Ben, our second message is from Dr. Matt Brunke. It is to Darwin, Sprocket, and Elvis. Those, of course, being the three dogs of greatest discovery.
2: Oh, man. Those are some good pups.
0: Message goes like this. Hey, dogs of DeSoto, thanks for keeping your dad safe and giving them a (laughs) chance to get outside during the pandemic. Hope you're all staying healthy. From Dr. Matt, unofficial veterinarian of Uxbridge Shimoda Live long and prosper <laughs> oh. Dr. Matt is great He's been someone that I've been in touch with for quite a while He's the reason that Sprocket got double TPLO surgery last year So Wow He was early in the diagnosis of of a of an issue I was noticing with Sprocket And uh, we were able to get on that early and, and fixed him right up
2: that's really awesome that was uh he like made a diagnosis after hearing you describe a thing sprocket was doing
0: yeah and then we took him to our vet and sure enough uh diagnosis accurate wow diagnosis accurate also the name of the cbs show i'm pitching (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a cbs show right I don't think anyone's taking a meeting with me. Yeah, you're. You're not going to be
2: getting a lot of generals with the yeah. development executives at CBS. So, hey,
0: CBS, I'm offer only. <laughs>
2: <laughs> thank you, Doctor Matt, and thank you, Brady the Breen Biker, and White Noise the Deaf Death Cat. Uh, if you'd like to get a P1 on the show, we'd sure appreciate it. You can go to maximumfun dot org slash jumbotron. And uh, they will talk you through the whole process.
3: I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times. And they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code TREK50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day shamrock shavers, Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below the kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, It works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman electric face shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off, plus free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever.
1: Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us
2: by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Okay, Adam, we have some decisions to make with regards to which episodes of Star Trek the Animated Series we're going to watch on next week's episode of The Greatest Discovery. And you said uh, at some point earlier in the episode that Walter Koenig had written an episode of Star Trek, the animated series. And I think we've got to watch that. Okay. So I think we should find out whatever one that is. And then I was going to suggest the one thing I remember from that VHS tape I had as a child was an episode of Star Trek, the animated series where they were on a planet populated by bird people. Hmm. You know i I like to see a bird person in an animated show
0: it's It's giving me real c lab twenty twenty vibes to yeah. to think of a bird man. so yeah, okay. <laughs> let's do that.
2: so I think we should uh, find that. and uh, long shot, but if we can get a guest for next week, would you be interested in in bringing a guest on?
0: Uh, I think I know who you're talking about let's Let's make every effort.
2: Okay, we're not going to announce anything or make any promises. We're not sure if we can keep, but uh, we'll try and have an exciting special guest for next week.
0: Sounds good to me.
2: Okay, well, uh, this has been a super fun episode of The Greatest Discovery, and uh, we really appreciate everyone tuning in and everyone supporting, and we're going to leave it with Rob's from here.
1: Thanks, Rob's. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. This podcast is produced by me, Rob Schulte. And our theme music is by Adam Ragusia of Cooking Fame on YouTube. Go check him out. So, Ben and Adam let you all know that it's the Max Fun Drive right now. It really helps the show. It helps me out personally. And when you go to maximumfun.org/join, you get to choose the shows you want to support. So why not choose every show that Adam and Ben host? That would be this show, The Greatest Discovery, The Greatest Generation, and Friendly Fire. It really helps us out and we really appreciate it. So thanks so much. Remember, you can now follow us on Instagram and Twitter under the handle Greatest Trek. Those socials are managed by our buddy Bill Tilly, who also benefits from supporters like you. It's really great. Glad to have you on the team, Bill. But you can also follow Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR. You can follow Adam on Twitter at CutForTime. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks again for all your support, everyone. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week on another episode of The Greatest Discovery.